Welcome to another episode of Seeking Tarot. We are exploring 78 cards to find out the story that they can tell us about ourselves and the ones that we care about. Each card is dynamic and unique, just like you. What would you like for the cards to tell you today? My name is Snow, and I'm so glad that you're here. Today, we have the guest, very famous in my opinion anyway, uh, Douglas Batchelor off of What Magic Is This? And if I remember right, your podcast was number one on Apple Charts for a little while. Is that right? I, perhaps. Or am I saying that wrong? <laughs> no, I, it, it might have been. I've, my podcast has been like number one on mostly like I'm not number one on any like general charts, but like spirituality charts. Sometimes I ping around number one in a lot of the I've never been number one in the US, um, but I've been like number three in the UK right now. I'm riding a high of of being number one for the iTunes charts for the Seychelles Islands, which is islands close to Mauritius off the coast of Africa. I've been number one <laughs> in their charts for, uh, oh my God, like almost a month. So it's, it's weird. Oh, that's but, cool. um, yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's always fun. I like when I get to number one in the countries that like, I really like. I was number one in Egypt for a little while there. Oh, wow. Macedonia and, but uh, never for general podcasts. That's always like Joe Rogan or, well, yeah, uh, you don't know, you know, Chapo Trap House, who knows what's what, yeah. But well, uh, yeah, that's still an incredible lineup, in my opinion. I mean, it, it's hard to be able to get number one in any kind of podcasting because the last time I checked, there's like two and a half million podcasts out there right now. Yeah. If you yeah. want to get in the market, it's difficult to get uh, anywhere towards the top. So, quite an uh, impressive accomplishment, in my opinion. So, well, thank you. <laughs> so, we are on doing this uh, tarot podcast, and I've asked him to be here i've asked douglas to be here to be able to talk about uh some of the history of tarot i figured that that would be a great place to start because that's kind of your niche anyway with your podcast is history and being able to talk about some of the amazing things that happened within the uh the pagan occult uh, however you want to label it but before we start that we had agreed that i would like to ask you a quid pro quo Sure, definitely. Go ahead. <laughs> okay, so how does this work exactly? Because it's been a while since I've heard it. So if you, as the, the host, I get to ask you a question, and then okay. at the very end of the episode, uh, you get to ask me a question. So Okay. Yeah. yeah. So, so I'm going to so ask you a question, Snow. Okay. So your podcast, you try to cover one card every episode, which I think uh, my girlfriend was actually listening to your podcast the other day. She really enjoys it. And uh, so I have to ask you this question. Is there one kind of tarot card that absolutely you dread if it comes up in a reading? Is there one card like, I'm not talking about like dread is in like, ah, it means death, but like just right. the, it's hard to read for you. Is there one card? Well, um, that's it's a good question. Um, I would say there it's almost like kind of two part because if you were to say, uh, "Is there a card that I dread?" I would probably say the Tower. I don't like change, 
Now, right. I found out recently that I'm autistic and I'm also a Virgo. So I don't like change. Right. <laughs> <laughs> that earth element, man, I'll tell you what, we yeah. just like our stability. <laughs> <laughs> and um, so then the other thing is that you had said, um, is there a card that's hard to read? Yeah. I would say that, you know, one of the reasons I know this might sound a little odd, but one of the reasons I started the podcast was to learn a little bit more myself. And so every time I produce the content, I'm sitting there and relearning or learning the card more, uh, either a first time or a second time around. That said, when the uh, court or not the court cards, but the uh, like the numbered cards, sometimes when it comes to the suits, I get a little confused as to which number, what number represents what energy and so mm -hmm. almost all of those are difficult when it comes to the major arcana and when it comes to the court cards i'm usually pretty good at those just off the bat without any forethought and then there's a couple of cards that i like that you know i know well uh four of cups you know maybe for instance so but and that's kind of the key actually i'd like to mention this real quick is that if you can learn the um elements or the uh, designs of the different uh you have the staves or the staff uh sword uh wands and cups so you've got all those different elements and then earth pentacles or coins so when you can learn those if you know the basics of those you got a really good jump onto mm -hmm. what the meaning is, regardless of the number. So you can kind of get a direction at the beginning there. I still read the books sometimes. Right. Uh, I find that the authors have a really good way of putting the card sometimes that I can't even put into words because it's just beautiful what they say. Yeah. And so I piggyback off of what they say, but I also just look at the pictures and see what they say. So Beauty. sorry, long explanation. I love it. That. No, I love it, man. I absolutely love it. <laughs> you, you knocked it out of the park. <laughs> Thanks. Are you ready to jump into this? Let's do it. Absolutely. This is my jam, this kind of stuff. Oh, I'm so excited. Um, my girlfriend actually wanted to ask you a question, which is actually sure. the top of your questions that okay. you happen to write down. What are the origins of tarot? Um, and I want to kind of narrow it down a little bit. Sure. Where would you say, or at what time would you say, or both? is the beginning or start of tarot? The beginning or start of tarot. Um, I would say, to answer your question first, the start of tarot began pretty much 1410 to 1430 in Northern Italy. So we're talking about the towns, uh, the cities of Milan, Bologna, or, and uh, Ferrara. Now we don't have a true date as to like, this is when they were produced. Because of, of course, like cards are, they're kind of disposable, right? So right. there's we have some early card decks like the Visconti Sephora's a deck, uh, but the reason we have those was because they were hand painted and and they look pretty ornate. But 1410 to 1430, so that's the 15th century, in and around northern Italy uh, is when I would say that tarot began. Now there's some there is some debates because there is a deck of cards from like 1410-ish in which if we squint, we could might be able to say that it's a tarot deck, but it doesn't really have, it's got like some kind of like a Trump suit. So it's got the four 
the four regular coins and the cups and some it's got four suits and it's got this extra set of cards but they're of the roman gods like jupiter and saturn's which is which is not really what we're looking at um so it's not until a bit later on that we get something like the visconti sephora's a deck and we can look at that and we can go like that's that is about as close as we get to a uh, a tarot deck but if we were to take the angle, what what are the actual actual origins of tarot cards? Well, you'd have to go back to something like like China, and they they had like money cards. So paper money and gambling kind of uh, and gambling with uh, with cards kind of came in at almost like the same period of time, uh, way back in oh geez, tenth tenth century in in China at least. Right. So there's that. And then there's also this deck of cards that we call the Mamluk cards, which oh. uh, they would have come around. If you don't know about the Mamluks, like an incredibly wonderful history of the Mamluks. Um, uh, most people, when they talk about the Mamluks, they're talking about the uh, Mamluk uh, Sultanate. And that was in a period of Egypt when uh, the Mamluks, who were slave so- soldiers, they actually were the people ruling Egypt at that time. And uh, earlier on, the Mamluks actually um, creamed the Mongols. The Mongols had always won their battles, but the Mamluks, uh, well, they they beat their ass down. And uh, anyways, <laughs> but there's a deck of cards. There's a deck of cards that we have from the uh, from the Mamluks. One deck is from the 13th century, so it's earlier than the decks that we have from Italy. Um, but they have as the suits four suits that are scimitars, polo sticks, cups, and coins. Right, so that's very very familiar. They have these court cards, but due to Islamic and Muslim culture, depict human beings. That's just something that you did not do. Depictions of humans for Islamic culture was taboo at the time. So they would have like these court cards that were just different than the suited cards. So that's kind of considered like the first, what we can like squint and look and see is like, that would be almost proto-tarot, proto-playing cards. But as far as like, from what we, from, if we take a distanced look at it, and we squint and we say, when did tarot start? It would have been in Northern Italy, Milan, Bologna, Ferrara, and between 1410 and 1430. Oh, that's really cool. Uh, where do I buy these? <laughs> so there's actually, there's a reproduction of the Mamluk deck and uh, I included really? it. Yeah, and I included it in uh, a link in my show notes for uh, my Cardamancy episode, and I want to buy them. They're a bit expensive, but um, the arabesque uh, artwork in it is just unbelievable. And and you can buy um, the deck that I mentioned earlier, the Visconti Sephora deck. Uh, you can buy reproductions of that deck, and um, yeah. uh, it's it's one of my favorites actually. Los Scarabio does a a version of it which uh, has this gold background. It's like a Visconti gold. Uh, I have that behind me, but uh, it's <laughs> it's just a it's a beautiful beautiful deck. So a lot of a lot of the early decks you can you can find reproductions of. Um, but yeah, the the Mamluk deck is is really really cool i I want one one of these days (laughs) (laughs) that sounds awesome um do you also uh when you had mentioned china uh Mm. is that including is that something along the same lines as the i ching 
Uh, so they don't, I, I don't think that the I Ching, uh, at least to my knowledge, the I Ching wasn't a part of, of these gambling cards, completely different. They didn't use these cards for divination in any way, shape or form. Um, they were very regional as well. So they would also have like pictures, I believe so, like some of the suits, if we we're going to call them suits, they were like uh, string and, and cakes. Uh, so like a cake kind of food, as well as these really wonderful mythological designs. And also there would be pictures of local uh, emperors, uh, princes, princesses, rulers, and stuff like that. So as far as we know, not so much used for divination. Oh, okay. That's really interesting. Cake, huh? Must have been mm -hmm. something Cakes, like... cakes. Yeah. <laughs> Delicious. Everybody loves cake. I mean, I'm not going to... Right? Um, that's great. Um, so that is a, that's some great history too, because every time, and this is what we were talking about at the beginning of the show, every time I've looked into the history of tarot, I gave up, I just got overwhelmed with some of the lore, you know, and there doesn't seem to be a very good consensus on this. Oh, it started in Egypt back in the, uh, early BC, you know, mm -hmm. era. Um, and then if you look at, um, uh, some people were saying that it comes from the gypsies. Right. And so because of that uh, lack of agreement and very obscure knowledge, that's why I wanted to have you here today on this podcast is to be able to get some of what you know and what you have studied on this mm -hmm. and your expertise. Uh, the other question was, um, so what was your, what has inspired you to do what you do on your podcast and uh, to get involved in magic and what magic is this podcast. So like your own history of magic. Um, what got me? Well, I was always raised being, I, I was very different when I was younger in my upbringing. And uh, I saw that the, what people considered like the consensus even though I didn't sign anything, uh, reality didn't, it didn't fit. It never really fit. And I was, I, I had a lot of experiences when I was younger. Um, I could use the word like spirit, but um, they, it did. I, I was very odd, very different. And I experienced very different things. Um, so that was always kind of like in the background through my upbringing. And I was heavily medicated as a child. It was, I was a child of the early nineties. It was just like, if your child is different or has any kind of a learning disability, give them drugs. And I became very depressed. Um, and it wasn't until, uh, you know, grade 11, grade 10, grade 11. I had a couple of really good teachers. One turned me on to um, Carl Jung. Um, I would always kind of like read things like Charles Fort and, and Colin Wilson, but it wasn't until I like encountered Carl Jung that I was like, oh man, this is something interesting to look into. And then I uh, saw a documentary about um, like chaos magic by Grant Morrison. And I just decided there and then become a magician. It's just something I've done uh, every day. I just do, I do magic every day. It's part of my life. The reason I started what magic is this is because I just kind of the, the stuff that you brought up earlier about uh, the origins of, of tarot. And some people say that it comes from the Romani people or, or gypsies. Some say it comes from Egypt and uh, that's completely untrue. Like the, I can, I can actually sh tell you where those um, like those, the instances of where that idea comes from. Um, and there was no podcast out there. It was not like myth busting. Um, myth busting magic is not what I want to do. I just actually want to like tell people like, this is the history. I think this stuff is real. And so it has a real history. And a lot of the history that gets put out there is more mythology than it is actual factual history. 
myth, myths are great. Myths are a part of magic, but myths should never be taken as the truth of something. It's it's something that's used to bolster okay. your magic. Um, so that's that's one of those things where I think it's always one of one of those things we have to keep in mind that, uh, particularly for those who are starting in magic, that uh, giving them the best information, the best factual information, is very very important. And there was no for this like there's there's not i hate to say it i'm not saying i was the first but i'm i just was like i i know that there's a little niche that i need to to help with this kind of stuff because if you turn on any i love all the occult podcasts that are up there they're wonderful but if you're not sussed in magic when you start to listen to some of these podcasts you're lost like immediately you have no idea what they're talking about right so so I just wanted to start something where I, I just want to go topic by topic and I don't want it to be individual based. Uh, I want it to be that the topic is the most important thing. And that's just what I've done. I actually just, I realized yesterday that I just celebrated, I just had my third anniversary on the June 10th. So uh, we're recording oh. this on the, uh, on the 12th. So two days ago, I had my third, third year of uh, uploading my first episode. So that's incredible. Yeah. Three years. It's tough. It's gone by very fast. But my goodness. <laughs> <laughs> right it's almost like a blink of an eye but you know yeah it's magical. yeah exactly that's right exactly <laughs> but that's that's why i do what i do i mean i i want to help people i truly want to help people i'm not doing for magic i don't want people to find like follow me or anything like that like as far as like putting me up on a pedestal i want the information the information and the history are the most important things about magic again i think magic is real I think it is a real thing that like it's might be one of the most important things that we have as human beings and uh, that we share with other animals and not even animals where we live and where we situate in this, in this world, in this universe, through everything. I think it's real. And I think it needs to be given respect and it deserves to have this history that that is actually true. And, um, and that's it. That's all. That's my pitch. (laughs) Oh, I love it. And, you know, it's a really good reflection of uh, your story or your what you do on the on the show. And uh, it's actually to me, that's like a good way to kind of uh, bring it bring it to the substance of what it really is. Mm-hmm. You know, it, every episode I've enjoyed uh, being able to enjoy as much as I can. But honestly, you got so many episodes. I can't keep up. <laughs> You know what? There's other people that also like they they do episodes weekly. I I could not do episodes weekly. Like, how, it's, often, how often do you put them out? If you don't mind my asking, I try to do them every ten days. A lot of times, though, unfortunately, just due to the fact that I'm I've got my Patreon content as well, it might be every fourteen to twenty days. It just I I right. put a lot of work into my shows. It's not like I just flick you know, the, the microphone on and have somebody on and we just chat. I, I do tons of research, even when there's episodes where I have a guest on, like it takes me days to compose the, the, the questions for them, because I know that they know the answers. Cause I've usually read their work. I ask the people, the people that I want to have on my show are people, usually people whose work I know, like I'm very familiar with everybody's books. Um, so it takes time. It, everything takes time. I spend upwards of 60 hours a week on my podcast. Like it's, I, I work, I work very hard. So 10 days to me, even that sometimes it's just like, uh, but yeah. <laughs> that's incredible. Um, usually I throw mine together very quickly, but in the background, I'm studying, I'm yeah. practicing. I'm thinking about what I'm doing. I'm listening to other podcasts to see what works and what doesn't so we can bring the best content. So Definitely. I can relate to what you're doing. I just approach it a little different. For <laughs> Usually sure. I've yeah. thrown my together. 
<laughs> I'm very lucky. This is my job. This is what I do for a living. Um, and I don't want it to sound like a, you know, like an old fogey, but I was raised with very good work ethic. I'm, I'm, I'm rural Albertan, um, which is a place in Canada, uh, like raised in the foothills of the Rocky mountain where you have to work, you have to shovel snow for eight months of the year. You have to chop your own wood. Like, so I, I, I was raised with a work ethic that sometimes gets the better of me because it'll be like, Oh, I've worked all day in this thing. And it's 11 o'clock at night and I haven't eaten anything. So, uh, <laughs> which is not cool. But, uh, but this is my job. This is what I do for a living. And I I always thought like, if you just keep working hard at something, eventually you're going to get the thing that you want. Um, That happened. I, I used to have a job working at a museum uh, full time while I was, when, when I first started my podcast and I can't even like, I don't know how I did it. I honestly, back in the day, I don't know how I did it, but um, I didn't have a Patreon. That was one. That's one big reason, but. Yeah. <laughs> well, Wasn't... you could, it shines through through every single episode the amount of dedication and uh amazingness and then in fact actually you make it sound uh flawless like uh uh it's just all very smooth and sounds fantastic on at least from my perspective. And when I was talking about doing this interview with you, I can't believe the amount of reviews of people saying, "Oh, this is going to be awesome. We can't wait oh, nice. to hear this combination." So, oh, perfect. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I was impressed because I was like, oh, hold on. I mean, I'm just, you know, I just started oh, no. this. <laughs> no, no, it's it's one of those things where podcasting, first and foremost, should be a labor of love. Even if zero people are listening, if you enjoy doing it, do it. And that's everybody. If you have an idea and you have something to share and and podcast is, podcasting is something you're interested in, do it. Just do it. And damn whoever is or is not listening just you're your first fan so with everything yeah i love that that's awesome good sage advice yeah (laughs) so i'm just kind of curious um do you what is your i mean let's start with this what is your favorite divination method and it doesn't have to be tarot okay (laughs) uh my favorite divination method uh probably using a pendulum I, oh. I use my pendu- I use a pendulum for for a lot of things much more than any other um yeah t- it's just I've had a you know I was it was fun because uh, I, I sent you a list of questions before or like discussion points just things that we, we could have and then I was just digging through my I've got about 30. Uh, I just moved recently. And so before moving, I had about 60 decks of tarot cards and I whittled it down to about 30. Um, So I was just going through incredible. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry to interrupt you. (laughs) No, I I spent a lot of money on, on cards. And then I would, I would just be like, why do I have a Hieronymus Bosch tarot deck? Like I have no reason to have this. So I just, I, I, there was a tarot place in uh in toronto and i i uh, gave it to gave them to them and hopefully they can uh sell them um but uh yeah I, I i miss i miss tarot but for the most part i use i use pendulums i just put up a video on my patreon for people who have not used pendulums ever how to start using pendulums but i find it very um i mean tarot cards are tactile you use your hands for them but i find um the pendulum itself i can actually like feel something either like guiding or just it's if it's my subconscious who knows i really don't put an explanation on it but um yeah i I find that for now my uh 
my go-to for divination is pendulums. But truth be told, I'm not really that big on divination. I know it's a big part. It is a big part of modern magic and uh, not just modern magic, magic of all time. It was always about trying to see what was happening ahead. But uh, I find my magic works when I'm a bit more reactionary. I'll, I'll, uh, hmm. I, I, I find that I'm better suited. At least my magic works better when I don't know what's going to happen. <laughs> I'll just put it that uh, Okay. That's really cool. And do you get uh, like chaotic results from that then? Or how does that work? No. So just, it, it, it's one of those things where instead of, instead of looking to see like whether or not a family member is, is going to get sick or something like that, it's, um, and this is going to, this is a wild scenario, right? If a family member is going to get sick, uh, I would prefer to do magic. And once I know that they're sick, it's like, okay, so let's, let's bring in some archangels. Let's, let's do something like this. Like that, that's where my magic I find has always been more uh, efficacious because there's always like this. So if my family's going to get sick, I, I do a tarot draw and it looks like, oh, somebody, somebody I know is going to get sick. So then I just do like a general protection for absolutely everybody. And no, like I'm, I find once I'm got a smaller set of things to work with, then I'll do magic to accommodate for that. Not so much about trying to, you know, reach too far ahead. Right. I've got very strange ideas about time. I don't know. I mean, I've talked about time loops with Eric Wargo on my show many, many times. Like I think time is like, I don't think it exists. Clocks exist. I don't think time exists. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. Yeah. So, so we are, uh, it, well, I mean, there are some theories out there that exactly what you're talking about. I mean, I've heard yeah. it before where that's exactly what they were saying. Um, and I didn't know that that's what I was trying to get at, but you said it perfectly. And I was curious. And that is that that's one thing that is kind of a hindrance within tarot. I found is that you can jump at ghosts and that mm -hmm. is not the point of it. It is yep. not there to do that. In fact, a lot of times when I'm asking a question to somebody, you know, Hey, what is your question for the tarot? They'll say, Oh, my favorite one is, will I get a good job? And right. I'm like, um, I appreciate the question, but there's a problem with that question. And that is that, are you going to go out and get a good job or not? Excuse so me. for, so for people who are homeless, any job's a good job, right? Like, so it's, it's all exactly. very context based, right? Like, so you're going to get a good job. Most jobs are good. I hate to say it, you know, like <laughs> having, having money is better than not having money. So every job's good. It just, it's like, it's, it's your subject. Yeah. I, I know exactly what you're saying. <laughs> exactly. And if, are you going to have the gumption to go out and get it or not? Are you going right. to take the effort to do this or not? You can drive yeah. your own dis destiny. The cars don't drive your destiny. No. No. So, and then the other thing I was wanting to point out is that what I thought was really cool is that you have a pendulum teaching and mm. other content that is available in the backside of what magic is this. Yeah. And I would encourage anybody that has the opportunity to go check it out because your Patreon is what only $7, right? Yeah. It's only seven bucks a month. Yeah. That's like the price of a, 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 an overpriced beer at a hipster bar, you know? Like oh, that's a, that's a steal, honestly, yeah. for the amount yeah. of information that you bring to the table. That is really a, that's a, that's a wonderful thing that you're doing actually. I, I'd hope so. I mean, I need to live. That's, that's my, it, it is my job, but uh, seven bucks, that's <laughs> not very much, right? And not right now with the gas. Not, no, exactly. <laughs> that's, that's, a, that's, that's, a, that's a shot glass full of gasoline these days, right? 
<laughs> I'm sorry. I have to throw in there. I saw a meme earlier. There was a guy standing in front of the gas station pump and the guy, the uh, attendant came over and said, uh, would you, uh, do you have any questions about the gas? And he said, no, I'm just looking. I'm just looking. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I can't afford this. Yeah. Um, yeah if you were to say anything about some of the older decks before Ryder White, mm-hmm. uh, which one do you think uh, represents most effectively uh, the current uh, iteration of what would be considered? And I'm going off of uh, Ryder mm-hmm. as the uh, as the basis here. So I think that the the tarot deck that best encapsulates, like when I think of tarot in my mind, um, I. I Got my first tarot deck when I was in grade five. So that would have been in 1995. Um, and when it was the Aquarian tarot, obviously took Rider Waite Smith as, as it's the basis of that. But Rider Waite Smith took its cues from the Marcier, the Tarot de Marcier. So the Tarot de Marcier is by far, in my opinion, when, again, how I said earlier, if I close my eyes and I think of tarot most people see Rider Waite Smith I see the tarot de Marcier and um it was one it, it was the most popular deck within Europe um after you know the the initial flourish that occurred in Italy uh and with things like um like there's this other kind of game because tarot was a game to begin with people don't realize this it, the a deck of tarot cards was called um a carte de uh triomphe or uh a carte de Trifoni, which is means cards with trumps. Um, oh. So it was like, so it was like a game that was like bridge. Um, it, then it got its name changed to um, Teroki, um, which we have no idea where the hell that name came from, whether it came from the Taro River, which is a tributary of the Po River, which was near um, a center where the, the rivers would run these water mills uh, that would create paper. Um, which the cards would eventually get printed on. Anyways, we have no idea where that name comes from. But uh, after the initial flourish in Italy, it became hugely popular in in France, particularly around Lyon for their paper printing as well. And it was from there that the Tarot de Marseille came out. And there's there's hundreds of different varieties of the Tarot de Marseille. There's a a Swiss version. There's a Belgian version. There's like even within France itself, there's many different kinds. So, So... I think that the Tarot de Marcier is by far, uh, any iteration of it is by far like, when I think of tarot, that's the deck. And that's also the deck where recently over the last like 15 years, a lot of the tarot, I'm going to call them the tarot Luminati because they're wonderful people like um, Enrique Enriquez, uh, Andrew McGregor of the the uh, Hermit's Lamp, Camellia Elias, a lot of like the superstars, the titans of tarot. In my opinion, they're using Tarot de Marcier. Um, Alejandro Jodorowsky, the filmmaker who who did Holy Mountain and El Topo, he was going to do an iteration of the movie Dune. It never happened. Um, but he has written a book and he, he's even released his own Tarot de Marcier deck. So I just think that it's a magical deck. And if 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 you're used to Rider Waite Smith decks and you pick up a Tarot de Marcier, you might be either saying like two things. It might be either like, what's the big deal? Um, or 
I don't know what's going on with these because the, there's obviously the minor account or the pips. There's it's just pictures of coins and cups and stuff like that, right? And so that's kind of hard to read. It's not like Rider Waite Smith where there's people in there and you can see that something's happening. This guy with there's guy with knife in his back. So that must be something bad, right? Um, there's none of that with the, the Terra de Marseille, at least for most iterations of it. But um, understanding the the process of how these cards got made right like when you start to read a little bit more about what they meant to the people at the time when the terra de marcia was being produced i believe the first deck that we can squint at was 1650 and that was the jean noblet tarot when that was coming out like wands if you look at them they look like sticks of wood they look like pieces of wood that are freshly cut so you're like oh so this is actually not about what writer sorry what uh weight and pamela colin and smith had where it's like wands wands and magic this is about people's relationships with wood the the rods represent wood and building and and growth and and agriculture and so this that's one of those things that that I think the Terra de Marcier, it just keeps on revealing. I remember to talk about that individual. I just talked about Alejandro Jodorowsky years and years and years ago when I was like super interested in, in tarot, he said like the Terra de Marcier is the most enigmatic, most magical and most mysterious of tarot decks. And I was like, all right. But now <laughs> I'm like, he's right. I, oh, I really? love, yeah, I love the Terra de Marciers and I love its history. I have a, I have a pack. This is my pack of the John Noble Tarot, which is oh, cool. It's, it's amazing. It's restored by Jean-Claude Flournoy. Uh, when I do tarot, that's the, that's the deck I use. I just think the, the, the way that the characters appear, the colors are perfect. The, the sight lines, because they're always looking in different directions. They play good. If you put three cards together, it's just the Terra de Marcier is uh, there's a reason that a lot of people are, are going towards it these days. So as wonderful as the Ray, uh, Raider White Smith deck is uh, the, the, the Terra de Marcier is, is getting its due. Oh, that's fantastic. Uh, <clears throat> actually me and my girlfriend had uh, gotten a reading uh, off of the Terra de Marcier. I hope I'm saying that right. Yeah, yep. Um, yeah. And that was, uh, I went to a friend of mine who happened to be a reader off of that, and he does bone readings and stuff like that. Nice. It's very cool. Very and, cool. um, but ha that was the first time I'd ever seen those cards before. And really? it was very interesting to me to encounter it. I trust the uh, gentleman's uh, intuition uh, very much. And so getting to see that and experience it it was something completely different than mm -hmm. what i consider the modern tarot but you're, i think you're right i think that there is definitely a degree of magical to that and mm -hmm. that profound in its own way and if you're into tarot definitely should be checked out so that you can yeah. find out what more they can offer to you especially if you're just uh, getting a little bored with tarot depending on how long you've been reading <laughs> definitely and what's interesting about the history of tarot is that you know as i said most tarot decks that are put out after after 1909 after the uh rider white smith decks they pretty much all follow rider white smith it's you know the the, the 22 well the 21 trumps plus the fool and then all of the uh the pips or the minor arcana 
there's decks out there. There's the Minicciate decks from from Italy that are also Minicciate Fiorentine. Uh, they're wonderful. It's like 92 cards. They have also cards for the four elements. They have cards for the Zodiac. There's the, the Cardinal Virtues. There's the Christian Virtues. Those are amazing cards. Like instead of like tr- trying to go and like find like a new way of seeing tarot, look into the past because that's where all this stuff came from. You also have like the Atea, the Atea, Grand Atea, um, the Tarot Egyptians. Like there's tarot has been around for a long time. Not as long as people think. That's the thing. People think that these cards are ancient. Like they're they're less than 500 years. Well, just a bit more than 500 years old, right? So, but there's lots of really interesting decks. Um, and I love, I love, I'm because of, obviously we just talked about how much I love the history of this stuff. I like going back to the past and using Terre de Marseille, using Minichades, using Granditeas. Um, that's, that's Terre de Mar. And yeah, it's, that's my jam. That's my stuff. Oh, I love it. That is so cool. Um, so I'm also kind of a little bit curious about um, is I was th- thinking about how you were talking about the the printing side of things. And I was thinking that the Gutenberg press probably played a huge role in that to be able yeah. to bring about the printed card because otherwise it would have had to been hand drawn. Correct. Now, yeah. A lot of my history is from my previous religion, which happens to be the Bible and uh, christianity so i have a lot of experience understanding what that where those kinds of things came from when it came to printing a bible printing quote unquote back before the press the the monks uh would sit down and write these out for months and it would be a very dedicated almost lifetime like study and work and if yes. they messed up once on doing this, they would throw it away and start yeah. over. And so the dedication and work it must have taken to do anything before the press must have been absolutely extensive just to be able to make it worth anything. And I can see why they would only be playing cards. But it, you know, divination, as far as I understand, it goes really a long ways back. Um, the oldest that we have an idea for as far as like something that looks like tarot. Uh, or cards or playing cards being used for divination. Atea, um, who is John Baptiste Alette, if if people don't know who, who I'm talking about. If you if you know about tarot, you need to know Jean Baptiste Alette. Um, he is Atea is a tight like a massive. He did a lot of things and you have to know what he did because a lot of what he did was very fishy, um, particularly as far as the history is concerned. But before that, the biggest indicator that we have that cards were used uh, in Europe, I'm saying in Europe, in used for divination was that there were two books produced in Venice um, in the late 15th century. So that'd be late 1400s about using pay, playing cards for divination, right? So that that's kind of like, and Venice was really big within publishing. They, huge amounts of publishing venice is like venice is not just for tarot um but for all of magic all ritual magic in in europe and i'm just going to say the west quote unquote the west if you don't know about the history of the city of venice you're missing out venice was the most crazy occult it, it was such a wonderful dangerous scary amazing place but yeah their their printing was was really incredible as far as printing for uh tarot cards they were just printed on big sheets 
and they would be stencil for the most part. So yeah, the the early decks that we have Visconti Sforza hand drawn. Um, the one deck that we have of the Visconti Sforza, we think it's oh geez, I wrote his name down here. Bonificio Bimbo. A bimbo might have created the very first deck of tarot cards. Um, so you can use that. But uh, he used to work for the Sephora's family. Um, in these in this pack of deck uh, of cards that we have, there were holes in the cards, which was probably used. They were hung up as like a decoration. They weren't really used for playing cards or anything like that. But after the printing press, yeah. So you'd have the, a, a, a one player, like giant sheet of paper, then there'd, there'd be a stencil. So you run over it with the black ink. And then you remove the stencil and you put another stencil on top. You run over it with the red ink, take it off, run over it with the blue ink. And uh, yeah, so that's that's why when you pick up uh, a Tarot de Marseille, particularly say like something like um, the Jean Noble, um, is, is that you can see like, oh man, like that's why this color is the same color as this. That's why there's so few colors is because they would run over them with like six or seven stencil outlines and then they'd let it dry and then they'd cut the they'd cut it up and sell it and huh. it'd be used it'd be used for card games right it was a, it was a card game before oh, anything that's, that's so cool and uh a lot less uh complicated than uh, it seems like a lot of people tend to make it um okay so i'm kind of curious what do you know about the history of writer white and you mentioned another name smith who is Smith? Who is Ryder? And who is White? And why are they named uh, on a tarot deck? So why does it matter? <laughs> <laughs> Let's go in order here. RWS Ryder Ryder Publishing Company. They were uh, a publishing company that was uh, one of the one of the larger ones for its time in uh, uh, for for what they excelled at in in London specifically. Uh, Wait, that was Arthur Edward Wait. He was uh, he was a mystic. He was an author. He wrote a lot of books. Um, he wrote books about the Rosicrucians. He wrote a book about uh, ceremonial magic. Um, when I was younger, uh, I really liked Wait because he's this old curmudgeonly dude who. Uh, doesn't like anything that has a whiff of like the demonic. So anytime that wait, uh, Edward A.E. Wait would say something about a grimoire, I'd be like, oh, that's cool. I'm going to have to check that out because wait is trashing it. Um, he was, <laughs> yeah, he was a member of the Hermetic Order of the Golden Dawn. Um, he was a member no. and then he stopped being a member and then he was a member again. He, he's just this, he's this guy who, who's around. A lot of people give him a lot of credit. I, I think. He he kind of represents to me the things that I don't like about 19th century Victorian magic. He's very stuffy, um, he very holier than thou attitude. But you know what? He can he can write a good book. And what he wrote about was very important. He did, I think, the translation, the first English translation of Eliphas Levy's uh, Dogma and Ritual of High Magic, Dogma and Ritual of High Magic, uh, as well as uh, the History of Magic by Eliphas Levy. So he was a dude. He was a member of the Hermetic Order of the Golden Dawn, and he he wanted to he because Eliphas Levy was super into tarot, and of course, to Eliphas Levy, the tarot cards they were all part of this Hermetic, or sorry, this Kabbalistic tree of life that was a big thing for the Hermetic Order of the Golden Dawn. So uh, Arthur Edward Ways wanted to create his own tarot deck, and he hired Pamela Coleman Smith, amazing figure. I cannot wait 
to talk about her on my show. Uh, also known as Pixie. She was known as Pixie. Mysterious. Uh, her father was, I believe, from uh, New York. Uh, went down to Jamaica. Was doing things in Jamaica. Met a Jamaican woman. Had a child. Um, so Pamela Coleman-Smith was of mixed race. She used to tell stories about uh, her her upbringing and and uh, and. Uh, and where she was from. It was part of her mystique. Um, wonderful, wonderful artist, just a really great artist and, and very talented. She was kind of one of those people that was, that was known about town. She, she was her own person and um, most likely lesbian. I mean, we're married. She, uh, the end of her life, she lived in like a, a like a kind of like a, our version of like a bed and breakfast and uh, with, with her best friend, who was also a woman, um she converted to catholicism when she was uh when she was in her middle ages i believe and uh, that kind of um she used to have fights with uh with uh, the poet william butler yates who was also a member of the hermetic order of the golden dawn anyways i'm getting ahead of myself uh, pamela coleman smith she was told like by she was picked by arthur ever wave also a member of the Hermetic Order of the Golden Dawn, uh, to draw, do these drawings. And so what would happen is Arthur Edward Waite would give her the, um, he would say like, this is how I want this to look. This is how I want this to look. This is how I want this to look. And Pamela Coleman would kind of like do her own thing. And from what I understand, and I've seen some correspondence of, of what occurred after the deck was finally released in 1909 by the Ryder Publishing Company, um, in a very small, there wasn't very many cards. The, the first run was very, I I believe less than 500 sets of cards, way less probably. Oh, wow. Um, yeah, very small amount. It was produced again not too long after and then more, and it just kind of accrued interest. But um, Wait was not overly happy with what Pamela did with the cards. In his words, he's like, I don't think she understood the true hermetic nature of the. Yeah, yeah. So he's that kind of a guy. <laughs> oh, jeez. Like, yeah, but truthfully, I think that the magic in the cards is not, it's the illustrations. Pamela did such a wonderful job. Um, interesting things that have happened, though, since since um, we've had a little bit of retrospective looking at it. Uh, some of the cards seem to be based on one of the very first decks of a like, proto-tarot deck called the Sola Busca tarot and a lot of the pips um that's the first tarot in which the minor arcana or the pips uh they would also have figures on it that was like the very first deck and it's it's very cool that pamela coleman smith probably saw this deck when it was brought to the british museum so she probably was able to go through this ancient well ancient like 400 year old deck of cards and she saw that the pips uh, were drawn as well and she based some of her drawings off off of those but pamela coleman smith oh, cool. of, of the three of the r rws uh or the rc r rws which right smith right coleman smith i i call it uh, truthfully i just call it the weight uh coleman smith deck because i think that she deserves to have two names in there because she did most of the work and i think that that is what is so endearing about the cards is her, is her artwork and um yeah, yeah absolutely since then, yeah since then it's it's basically after i think the third printing of it it has never been out of print you've always had copies of it it's just exploded in popularity it's just something about that deck of cards that really really touches people and i i personally don't use it very much i have one um it's beautiful it's lovely uh, but i think that just because there's also uh just something about the the tarot de marcier but uh yeah i think 
uh, of the RWNS, uh, Pamela Coleman Smith is somebody really to look into. Really lovely person. Um, she died. I think she died quite young. Um, but uh, I wish I wish she knew in her lifetime just how much people loved her cards because people do. People really do. Anytime oh, yeah. there's a tv show about tarot cards or a movie it's it's her deck and every once in a while you'll see a, a thoth deck you never see the tarot de marcier unless it's maybe a french movie um but it is it is known people people recognize if you if people in close their minds people who don't even know about tarot if they close their minds and they think of a tarot card they're probably thinking of, of one of pamela coleman smith's designs oh that's so cool and that's how you brand <laughs> right? yeah yeah. And, you know, so much to the history is just absolutely astonishing. Um, I just and hearing what you have to say about it is just like great to hear the uh, culmination of uh, knowledge and information. And I appreciate it so much. Oh, no this is what I do. This is my job. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> absolutely. You know, I was listening to um, there was a book I was listening to. What was it? It was something about tarot cards. This was a couple of years back. And they had mentioned that they were all part of the church, those three, and um, that they were trying to keep it a little bit within a religious construct. And that's why you see the Christian themes, Adam and Eve and the lovers um, and so forth, you know, like uh, strength, a lion and a representation of whatever religious, uh, you know, focus is there, I'd suppose. But and so I think that's why you see a lot of that. The which one is it? The Hierophant, the Pope card. Yeah, <laughs> Everybody yeah. calls the Pope card. <laughs> well, what people have to realize, and I, I, is that the tarot rose up out of uh, out of a Christian foundation, right? Okay. Um, when when we try to think of something like the Trumps, right? Because that's what everybody loves about tarot is they love the Trump cards, right? They major love Arcana, absolutely. The Major Arcana, right? Um, there's a gentleman by the name of Paul Hewson who wrote a book called The Mythical Origins of the Tarot. And I think he's actually spot on here, but he thinks that the imagery for the Trumps comes from these things called miracle plays or mystery plays, in which these would be medieval and Renaissance plays that would sometimes go on for days and they would have very, very Christianized themes, right? Um, something mm-hmm. like something like death would have been something like the dance macabre and something like the 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 black death rising out. And so these they would be these plays which would be put on like town squares in the Middle Ages and in the Renaissance across all of Europe. People would go to these, and so the imagery was very familiar to them. So the lovers being Adam and Eve, that was a miracle mystery play thing. The a, a woman prying open the jaws of a lion that would have been in part of like one of these plays is being seen as strength. All of the trumps, um, all of the imagery, and, and as much as people would like to say like it's 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 got this hermetic Neoplatonic uh, basis. It's more Christian than anything. And and unless you understand that and the areas in which tarot came from and who was using it and for what reasons, like one of the reasons we know that this stuff was popular is because we have the church outlawing playing cards, right? So they're like, oh, they're right. obviously they're being used because they're being outlawed. Yeah. Um, 
in, in fact, that still is uh, I ran into that when I was a kid. I'm sorry to interrupt mm-hmm. you, but I, mm-hmm. I encountered the same situation where dancing was evil, uh, playing cards were bad, um, mm-hmm. and it was just as bad as uh, sex and smoking. So, <laughs> right. Yeah. But... The, the devil's playground, you know. <laughs> That's right. So I think I think people need to. It's not that I say that people need to get over their Christian phobia, but tarot itself, uh, the origins of tarot are deeply Christian, particularly the imagery um, and and everything from you know like the there's there's these things called like the the seven great virtues and there's four cardinal virtues. I have it written down here. So this is a, there's there's temperance strength justice prudence faith hope and charity the first four are the cardinal virtues the last three are the christian virtues uh some might ask you know like what well i noticed that three of the four cardinal virtues that's temperance strength and justice are included in tarot cards there's no prudence um and there's no faith or hope or charity, uh, but there was, and that's included in what's these are these are the Minicciati decks, right, from Northern Italy. Those actually have all of those virtues in there. So, um, yeah, as much as we like this idea of of this, uh, particularly since the writer Waite Smith, that it has this hermetic, cabalistic um, meaning to the cards. Unfortunately. Uh, it's actually more Christian than anything. And that's where it came from. And because uh, that would have been familiar to the people of, of Europe. Yeah. That, that's, that's amazing. So do you think, is that part of the draw and the passion that people still encounter within the cards? Why it's such a driving force within our culture? Um, I think the mystery of them, because I mean, most of the most tarot cards don't have words on them, right? Most tarot cards have some really great art. I mean, right. truthfully, tarot cards, if done well, the more popular decks are the more idiosyncratic and the ones that look really beautiful, right? And and as much as the Rider Waite Smith deck is just kind of like known as like the deck, the second most popular deck of tarot cards is the Toth Darrow, the Toth Darrow by uh by Alistair Crowley and Lady Frida Harris. The artwork on that is stunning, right? Like it's glorious artwork. So I think I think people are originally attracted to the artwork, but then once they actually sit with the cards, um, your mind starts to fill the blanks, particularly when you put cards next to each other. Your mind immediately starts creating a story. And and as much as, you know, we can, the people that have used tarot cards for a lot, we'd like to read into them, like the great mysteries of magic. I think for even people that aren't interested in that kind of stuff, because I know people that love tarot cards that want to have nothing to do with magic and nothing to do with divination. They just like, <laughs> they just like the cards. Um, yeah. I think, I think that while that kind of stuff holds uh, a lot of an attraction to, to people, I think just the cards themselves, there's something there's something magical about art and there's something magical about being able to hold it in your hand. It's, it's beautiful art that I can hold in my hand. And that's, that's something special, I think. And that's, that's why tarot is never going away. I don't think tarot will ever go away. Yeah, I agree with you. And that's really cool. I think that um, you're, you're bringing up some great points and I really appreciate it. It's fantastic. No, this is, this is this is fun for me. I enjoy doing this. I wish more people asked me on their show. Truthfully, I I really do. I I love doing this. I love talking about this kind of stuff. It's, it's my life. Well, I was telling my girlfriend. I said, you know, if we were to go over the amount of stuff that I have that I want to talk to you about, it's like uh, probably six episodes at least. You know, like <laughs> oh jeez, oh, geez. all the questions that I have for you and stuff like that. Ah, this is so cool. <laughs> 
I think the next part that I wanted to talk to you about would be uh, symbology. Mm-hmm. Uh, do you can you talk about that? Are you able to? Yeah, a little I don't want to. Yeah. I don't want to put you on the spot. No, no, for sure. I'll... My brain is so full of new information, <laughs> and it's excellent. But I was kind of curious. What do you think about uh, symbology of cards? If you were to say, I mean, we talked about that a little bit, and I was kind of segueing to that. Mm-hmm. But what do you think drives some of the symbology? Uh, I remember, and I'll give you this story real quick just before we get into this. Sure. The first person that I ever encountered that was magical that taught me about magic and taught me about tarot, I had said, I want to, the first thing I want to do is I want to create a deck. And he said, well, I appreciate that. But the problem is, is that you need to understand the symbology and uh, what that represents. And I said, okay, how hard can it be? And he proceeded to explain to me how complicated it is. And I realized that I was way in over my head trying to create a deck on my own. Mm -hmm. Um, Now, since then, I've discovered that maybe I was a little more rigid than I needed to be. But the symbology holds a very specific and uh, pointed message, especially within the RWS. Yeah. what to, what can you speak on, like what the purpose is, or maybe a couple of the cards, if there's some that you're f- very familiar with, that you know maybe you can express what the point of the the symbology is. Well, I think for there's there's I'm not going to say that there's only two camps, but uh, there's there's people that, uh, and this is something that is somewhat part of what Atea did with with tarot cards in which there's those that think that tarot cards have a somewhat fixed meaning that each card kind of has something to say specifically and then there's another group that basically say like no the cards in isolation don't really do too much it's not until you put them next to other cards that they start to to tell a story now uh, that's and then through that story, that's how divination occurs. So as far as like the the symbols, particularly since Rider Waite Smith deck came out, that was preceding years afterwards. That's what everybody was just like, we're we're all going to do decks like like this. I mean, the two of cups has to have two people like cheering cups, and then of the, course the nine of swords. There's got to be like nine swords in somebody's back, and and all of these kind of things. And uh, so it became very very rigid. Um, and there's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with wanting to see if that makes sense to you that that image and what it represents has a certain meaning for you and that's what it is, then that's what you want to go with. Um, I think I like stories. And so it's tough for me when when people talk about, you know, I do I do a daily a, a card. I, I put a card for my day of my day. And I'm not going to I'm not going to yuck anybody's yum, but for me that that seems a bit meaningless. Um unless one just wants to meditate on like how that makes one feel and stuff like that, that's fine, but you know, just being like how's my day going to go? You flip a death card. It's like, "Oh, there's going to be a lot of changes today." It's like, "All right, well, I guess." Um, <laughs> sounds but, horrible. <laughs> yeah. But this the symbols on the cards, they're they're there for those that wish to take the dive. Um one of my favorite uh tarot card artists uh, alive and he's also a historian and truthfully he's actually written in my 
estimation, he's written the best book about the history of the tarot. His name is Robert M. Place, but he also does tarot cards. Uh, he does the alchemical tarot. He did the um, tarot of the sixfold secret, I think is the name of it, or ninefold secret. Anyways, um, but he's all about just trying to put as much alchemical and hermetic imagery into each and every card, which is which is quite wonderful. And uh, I get that impulse because for him, it's very personalized and special. And of course, he is somebody who creates his cards. For myself, um, yeah, I don't think that in isolation, it works as well. The symbols within the card, I, I a feeling is a very subjective thing. And if a card makes you feel a certain way, then that's really good. I mean, for myself, which card do I really enjoy? Well, I've always, I always enjoy the death card. That was when I was younger. The death card was always my favorite through the fool. Um, as I've grown older, I think because my love has gone to uh, the Tarot de Marcier, the Tarot de Marcier's moon card, I don't know if you've seen it, Snow, but it's it's literally of two dogs barking at the moon on a shoreline with an, a lobster coming out of the water. What the hell did those symbols mean? <laughs> And a lot of people have a lot of a lot of uh, things to say about that card, and and the thing that really gets me is that you know what it can mean whatever it needs to mean. The symbols on that card can mean whatever you want. It looks like the dogs are also like biting the beams, these like flakes of fire coming off of the moon. It's it's a really interesting card. So. Who we will never know what the person who created the very first Terra de Marseille was thinking when he did that card. Most likely, it was incredibly allegorical, um, incredibly symbolic to them. Um, I don't know what it meant to the uh, the people in the 19th century when they were taking the Terra de Marseille to create something like the Raider Waite Smith deck. And I don't know what it means to people now. I don't know what it means to great scholars of of the Terra de Marseille now. The the symbols within. But when I put it next to other cards, and that's when it comes alive to me. That's when the symbol starts to make sense. So, so that's, that's about as much as I can say about the symbols. Is I, I've always tried to tell people, you know, and this is the way that I read cards. It's it's I I threw away fixed meaning, fixed meaning for cards years and years and years ago. I, I I take the cards for what they look like when I have them next to other cards. That's that's what I go off of. The symbols of those cards don't come alive to me until there's something beside them. That's that's what's wonderful about the Tarot de Marcia. Again, I just this this is I hope this isn't just a giant pitch. I, I'm I'm no, learning nothing from the Tarot de Marcia Corporation of France <laughs> uh, of Lyon, but um, but I, I think that that's why. And as I said earlier, like Jodorowsky, um, who did produce his own Tarot de Marcia, he said it was the most enigmatic, most magical, most mysterious of cards. And again, I was like, ah, that's rubbish. But now it's like, I know exactly what he's talking about it to this day. Mm -hmm. Like when I put them in my hand, they just, they come alive. They come like fire. It's, it's wonderful. And the symbols, they look great as individual cards, but when you put them next to other cards, that's when it's like, oh, wow, There's, I have a, I have a story. I have a painting, right? I've got, I've got something to work with here. Absolutely. Um, you know, I know this is a little bit off topic from directly what we're talking about, but I'm a huge fan of Joseph Campbell's work. I studied Absolutely. writing for seven years and was going to be a writer. That just I realized that it was not really my direction I wanted to go in life. Um, right. I still love the story, though. And 
I've found that with this podcast and with tarot, that that's exactly what it is, that every bit of this is a story. In fact, that's part of my intro is this is your story. How does it apply to you? What do you want to know about the cards? And so I can't agree with you more. I mean, I, I think you're spot on exactly what you're saying about the, you know, it's so important to have the story aspect of it. And sometimes, you know, I mean, if you remove the story and make the thing sterile, you miss the point of what the, the whole thing is about in the first place. Yeah, uh, absolutely. Well, I also think people need to remember though, that tarot started as a game. And I think once you get into your head also like that, that maybe you're not divining the, the, the gifts of heaven, nor are you plumbing the depths of somebody's psychology but that you're divining your, your, your fortune telling as a game. I think the cards, the cards hear that in some way, the cards are alive. I'm an animist. So I think everything is alive. The cards know when you're playing with them and they, they enjoy that. Cause it's like, this is what I was invented for. I think that that's something for people to sit with. And no matter how many iterations are later on down the line, you get the same result because I actually yeah. was experiencing that recently where I was like, you know, I wonder if there's any good tarot card games out there. In fact, mm -hmm. this last week I've been experiencing that. Well, um, our time is about up. Would you be willing to submit to a reading? And 100%. Are you 100%. sure that you're willing 100%. to face the truth? Of <laughs> I am. Give it to me. Okay. I've been jonesing for this all day. There we go. <laughs> Well, if it's okay with you, I picked out Absolutely. a deck ahead of time and decided to go with, this is currently my favorite deck, and it kind of okay. came to me um, recently through a series of events, I will say that. Okay. So this is Orion's Animal, Animal Tarot, nice. and I believe the author is Ambie Sun, A-M-B-I-S-U-N. It is currently my favorite deck. Got it. So what would you like for a question for the cards to illuminate for you? Sure. So I'm going to ask if the, this is going to be a bit of a private thing, but I know what I'm talking about in my mind, but uh, I'm going to just ask is whether this financial situation will come out favorably. Okay. And, excellent. And, so, and if not favorably, can you tell me a bit about what needs to happen next? Okay, excellent. Yes, actually, that's a that's one of the things that always drives me crazy is when people uh, ask a question that is a little nondescript and something that's within their control. So the way that you phrase that is it shows your your prowess at uh, being able to read tarot cards. I love it. <laughs> I have my days. I have my days. <laughs> One of the things that I run into often within tarot cards is that I'll get somebody asking me, do, is this individual good fit for me? And one of the problems that I run into is the card will bring up information that will talk about their personality and their character trait, and they don't know what to do with that information. Right, right. <laughs> and so I try my best to explain to them that really once they get past that issue within themselves, then the relationship status will become more clear. And then they go back to it and say, but what about this person? And it's like, well, until you move past whatever it is that's facing you, you can't get to that person. Right. Do, Do you, you like animal snow? What's what, is that? This why this deck spoke to you? I've, I've, I haven't heard of this deck. Truthfully, I'm not, uh, <laughs> I'm not, uh, I'm not too sussed on the modern decks. 
yeah. So, um, well, the, this this deck came to me because of actually a uh, little history. Um, sure. So my nickname is Snow, short for Snow Leopard, which is a nickname for my long, longer magical name. And I don't share that. Okay. Um, for sure. I don't. I, I think I shared it once with my girlfriend. I just, you know, it's something about the power and possibly having somebody have power over you. I'm a little concerned about that. So definitely. <clears throat> but I go by Snow Leopard, and then and then Snow just for short. Um, so my first week uh, before I became pagan or Wiccan or whatever the actual term that I am is, sure, I had a Snow Leopard come to me in a dream. And oh, the cool. snow leopard on that week told me about how it was a divine protector for me and my family. So at another time, a little later on, as I was studying some of the things that I was within the craft, I got a visitation through a meditation of a god that everybody is very familiar with because we have a holiday named after him, Unasta. And so I was working with the Celtic god, and I have no pantheon, but I was working with the Celtic god Lu. L-U-G-H is how it's spelled some of the things that I needed to know. And he gave me two gifts and I didn't know what to do with them for a couple of years. Right. But one of them, and the only one that I'll share is a compass. So when I was looking recently, and I just got this deck about, I don't know, a month ago, I was going, I felt that I needed to go down to uh, check out some of the uh, tarot decks that they had at this uh, local vendor. And on the back, my girlfriend, I was just going down there. I was like, I feel like I need to go down there and look through the decks. And on the back, my girlfriend picks up the deck and she says, well, look at that. It's got a compass on the back. These cards are calling to you. <laughs> and so I was like, I knew I had to come here. How's my wallet looking? <laughs> Do I have enough money for this? <laughs> for sure. I was looking forward to buying a tarot card, but it, this is an expensive hobby. I always say. Oh, oh, nice. Nice. <laughs> so, uh, they what kind of animals be, are on it? Well, I think just about anything that you could even think of. There was one, um, something bear. It's a, it's essentially a, a water monkey. Uh, oh. What do they call those bears? Uh, they're a little tiny micro microorganism. Oh, um, um, yeah, um, and they can live in space. They live everywhere. Yeah. They have no problems in any environment. And so they have even that creature on this uh, on these cards. Okay, cool. So. You know, there's a grasshopper, uh, armadillo, nice. and whatever that is. So, <laughs> so there's a lot of different animals on here. Would you like a three-card spread or a one-card spread for time? I'm always about the triage aligne, which is the three-card spread. Excellent. So one of the things that I do when I do a reading is that I consider every time I do a spread, it's different, uh, different layout. Now, usually okay. the three card spread, I stick with that specifically to be uh, past, present and future. But at times there are differences that I come up with, uh, depending on how the cards are laying. I usually listen to my intuition to see what they have to say about the situation because I'm just the messenger. So uh, in your past which i also consider um part of your present situation it melds somewhere between the two you have a reverse knight of pentacles and this is a you guys can't see it but it's a b on the um b with a hive yeah and the part of the hive has the pentacle in the middle of it so that is the knight of pentacles 
And the present card or the middle card, you have the two of cups. And for those that are listening, this is two penguins and they are two different colors. One is red and one is blue. We are doing a matrix thing and you can decide how far down the rabbit hole you want to go. Oh, (laughs) he went there. He went there. (laughs) And then on the last position, we have uh, the moon. And this is what is on. I'll turn it back up right so you can see it. But. Okay. This is actually the symbology that, or the uh, picture that is on the front of the deck itself. There um, you go. And it is a rabbit uh, running underneath the moon. Wonderful. So the first and the last card are reversed, but honestly, um, a lot of times that isn't necessary. I don't always read reversed. Um, it depends on how significant the reversed meaning may come out to be, but I would say that where you're coming from and where you're at currently moving into the present not to accomplish but definitely where you're contentedly making very firm decisions moving forward with the financial goals that you're talking about right. pentacles is a good representation of finances since this is a finance uh, question it, mm-hmm completely current situation with the two of cups the double penguins uh, coming together a union of the um energy of what you're trying to accomplish so you're you're really wanting to bring this together it looks like it's working out all right um it looks like it's moving forward there may be um two different points of view but that there is a definite clear communication and emotional from emotions of wanting accomplishment uh, are on both sides. Got it. And then uh, for the last one, the moon, you have your dreams uh, are that your emotional dream, uh, the, the view of everything that you're wanting to accomplish are very uh, clear cut that you can accomplish this, that this, is a, this will pan okay. out for you. But I will say that there's a little bit of uh, hesitancy, and this is where I am going to include some of the reverse reading on this, is that it's not that you can't accomplish it, uh, you can't accomplish it, it is more to do with there might be something standing in your way to get to it. So the accomplishment's there, but you need to get through something to get to it, throwing you off. Yeah. Something else needs to happen. It's, it's, uh, it, one thinks oh. that they're going for something. Yeah. Sorry, go ahead. Yeah. No. Um, okay. So continuing on, I, w- I would say that really what you're – to be able to move the barrier out of your way, tap into meditation. Okay. Tap into a little bit of a, a hermit mentality to kind of cultivate the energies within yourself because you're already magical and you already got the capability to accomplish what you want to accomplish. <sighs> <laughs> Love it. <laughs> so – it's, it, I don't know what it is that's standing in your way, but I don't think it really matters because honestly, okay. if you can just take some time to focus on what you can accomplish, it doesn't matter. Okay. Love it. Snow, that's great. <laughs> it's been a while since I've had somebody actually read my tarot. It's been, it's been a while. That's, that's wonderful. <laughs> yeah. I'm so glad to do it. It's one of my, I just really have a joy about reading tarot cards and the way that they speak to me. I don't know. For some reason it's, it, it makes sense to me when I was a Christian, I was doing dream interpretation. It was almost like a predecessor to this really. Yeah, absolutely. There is one thing I'd like to say before whatever else we need to say or close out here. And that is that I have heard a theory that a 
practiced individual can read so well the tarot that they can read the backs of the cards. There's, well, you can, some people are able to look at, like, I, there's actual stage magicians that with a deck of cards that are old, like ones that they're very familiar with, they know, yeah, they know the backs of their cards. Like they can actually, it's, it's shocking. And they know every angle of it. If it's upside down, if it's, it's not yeah that's, people can do that. You spend, you spend enough time doing something, nothing's impossible. That's that's yeah. That's, that's really true. <laughs> Truly, and you know, I've actually tapped a little bit into that. Not a lot. I'm not. A, I'm not able to do it fully. But I've discovered that I, with that, I can read clouds. I can mm-hmm. read all kinds of things, and you can yeah. see in between. And there's there's many things. And that 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 it, to me, whether it's tarot or whether it's scrying or pendulums, if you know how to read it, you will see it in between. In the energy is the same every single time. Absolutely. At least for me, this is how it plays out for me. I don't know yeah. if that's the way it is for everybody else, but yeah, no, I, I it's one of those things where I, these things are available. Should you should you want to look into them? Do you have any other thoughts before we close out? Not, not so much. No, I think this is, this has been a fucking wonderful. Sorry, I don't know if you're allowed swearing. No, this is just oh yeah, been... I put okay, explicit good. on every episode. Even uh, okay, if I don't good. Swear. Yeah. All right. All right. No, this is this has been an absolute <laughs> pleasure. This is this is this is the way I should try to spend every every Sunday is talking to somebody. But no, it's been this has been an absolute delight, sir. Thank you. Oh, thank you. I mean, I I feel just absolutely overwhelmed. Awesome. You know, this is like what I get to do. This? Are you serious? So. You are Douglas Bachelor. Your show right. is What Magic Is This? And it. it is on a, every platform. Is that right? Yeah, pretty much every single one. Um, trying to think of one that I'm not on. Uh, oh, there was one that wanted like money or something like that. I was like, absolutely not. But no, it's <laughs> Spotify, iTunes, um, uh, Stitcher, every place. YouTube even. It's, it's everywhere. Can't so get away from it. <laughs> What's cool to me, in in my opinion, on this is that this is almost like a crossover episode. We've actually combined yeah. a little bit of both of our episodes to be into the uh, into the definition of this one episode. Uh, wanted to also suggest or ask, where would somebody go to get more information for your show? Best place is whatmagicisthis.com. It's got everything there. Um, my show is known a little bit for its show notes. I do tons of work making sure that people have not just good books to read after, but there's a lot of stuff that's available online. And I, I find those and I put them up and I, I read, I don't read every single thing, but I know what a lot of them have, they say in them, but everything's available at whatmagicisthis.com. But you forgot one thing. We have to end the show on a... Uh, a post show oh. quid pro quo. So you you have to ask me. You have to ask me a question there. <laughs> oh, I, I absolutely forgot that. And and the yeah. reason that I brought up that this is a crossover episode is because when you listen to this one, you're getting a very good taste of what his show is like and what Correct. their show is like. But you, ending this, and this is the thing, is the reason that we're doing the quid pro quo is because this is kind of a throwback to your original shows. Yeah. And so I get to ask you a question, but I've been doing that the whole, yeah, <laughs> the whole time. Yeah. I would say, um, do you believe in 
aliens and are they the influence uh, in the occult that maybe people think? Do I believe in aliens? Do I believe in aliens? I do. I do very much so. I think if alien is going to be uh, the idea of something from uh, another like, organisms that exist outside of Earth, a hundred percent, a hundred percent, I think so. Uh, I also think that we are aliens. I think that um, this idea of of what was panspermia, which is is this idea that life came to this planet uh, because of a meteorite or something like that, that there was a life form because we know that spores survive in space. And uh, I think the thing you were trying to name the animals, Targiteride, um, was is the is that the sounds right. Yeah, is the name of the little being. Um, those survive also. So this idea that there's a panspermia, uh, but I think that panspermia just didn't happen once. I don't think that just that the atmosphere just had it once and then we got life. I think it's constantly happening. I think that our planet is being bombarded by organisms and other materials from outside of the space all the time. Like our atmosphere is good at burning a lot of things up, but I also think that lots of stuff gets through. And uh, I think that that is definitely happening as far as influence on the occult, whether or not I think that there's something like the Davis group or whether or not Aleister Crowley saw something like Lom that was later the, 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 uh, the monster. I truthfully, I truthfully don't know. I do think that because magic is real, that there's something that we don't know what's going on. And not just one thing. I think it's, I think it's a conspiracy of things. And I use that word, not in the sense of that, um, that there's like something are you know, malevolent or stuff like that. A conspiracy conspiracy literally means breathing together. Oh. So I, I think <laughs> that, yeah, conspire, like it's, it's oh. con together and, and, uh, spirit spiracy spirits the, the spirit sure yeah that's right breathing Breath together. Of life yeah that's right so i think that there's a lot of influences and i think we don't have any idea what's going on and just to go back to when you asked me about you know what when i was younger uh the map i think of what is actually happening i think is so thoroughly wrong right now as far as our idea of consciousness and what even makes us individuals is so ass backwards i don't but to what that could be i don't really know um but this idea that perhaps you know there's something else out there whether they be archons or or um grays or something like that who knows who knows it'd be interesting right. it'd be interesting but uh but aliens are real and and we are the aliens and uh and uh so we're hummingbirds and octopus and uh a whole bunch of other things but uh i'm just oh, saying that's so cool <laughs> but uh, i just think that yeah there's just just there's there's some things about evolution that just to me at some some points like i like the idea but there's some things like that's just too much of a jump there's just too there's some organisms that spiders just do things so well i it's it they're shocking to me it's unlike anything else but that just might be like somebody would say like doug you you don't give enough credit to to mother nature and it's like i think mother nature was not something homegrown i'll say this i think mother i think mother nature might have ordered um i don't know skip the dishes or something like that some some outside stuff came in here and, and allowed for for things to happen here but as far as the occult i don't know who knows could be yes no maybe so i think maybe is a thin reed to hang your life on but sometimes it's the only reed we have 
I, I keep thinking Cthulhu when you're talking about this. <laughs> Could be the old ones. You never know. The old ones, they might, they might be around. You never know. Well, thank you, Douglas. This has been just an absolute delight. And I thank you. Thank you so much. No, it's been so much fun, man. This is this has been enjoyable. And I, I really wish the best of luck for for not just this episode, for all other episodes. If and, and again. Uh, as I said, if if you love something, just do it. And it sounds like you're doing it. So keep it up, man. That true, truly keep it up. <laughs> and you too, your show, uh, it just continued it. I know you only, you've done three years, but just, you know, don't give up. Please don't, don't stop. I it's won't. awesome. <laughs> I, I won't. There might be some evolving, but I, I promise it will always be good. No matter what I do, it'll always be good. Or at least I'll put a lot of work into it. I'll, I can promise that no matter what direction my show goes, uh, I'm still going to put a lot of work into it. Is there a book in the works? <laughs> not, not right now. No, no, no. I can't, I can't, I can't imagine anything so mundane as doing writing a book. Uh, but books, you, you love to read them. <laughs> I love to read them. I'll read your book. But as far as like sitting down and at a keyboard and just going like this, that's, that's not how I do things. If, if somebody yeah. was to set up a camera and see how I do research for my episodes, it's, it's very frenetic. It's all over the place. I, I, I'm very, I, I find it tough to sit still. I'll put it that way. Thank you so much. And thank you so much for joining us on this episode of Seeking Tarot. Honestly, I have to admit, I got a little bit on the sleepy side when it came towards the end of the episode. And so I accidentally cut off Douglas saying his goodbyes to you all. But he did. And he was very glad to be able to be a part of this show as I was glad to have him here. And so if you can, if you're on Twitter or any other way that you can reach out to him, I would highly recommend that you check out his podcast. His his knowledge of the pagan and occult and all things like that is very in-depth. And three years of shows, he's got more than enough uh, content to cover you for a very long time. If you're interested in being able to get a hold of his stuff, you can go to uh, his website as well. I will include the, that information in the show notes. And again, I am very grateful that you guys were able to come along and enjoy this uh, opportunity to hear this crossover episode between me and Douglas. Uh, hopefully, and he said that he would be willing to come back on a future episode. Hopefully, we'll be able to facilitate another episode with him talking about some of the other things that maybe he gets into. Would love to have that happen. I hope that you all have a very blessed day and that your sight is incredibly clear so that you may see how your path unfolds before you for your future. Blessed be.